Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. You guys, I want to hear from you. It's 855, the number four, G-A-R-T-E-N, iHeart, iTunes, any of our fine syndicated affiliates is how you can hear us. But I definitely want to hear from you on social media, guys. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. It's all our social media accounts. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. And please, if you like this, if you're listening now, subscribe, like, share, do it all. Make sure that people can hear about what you are listening to. We have a lot to talk about today. Scott Stein is going to join us from Winners and Winders. Scott Stein is going to go over a lot about the NHL, uh, against the spread stats, trends, things of that nature. I'm going to talk a little bit about my mock draft now with the Sam Donald trade. I'll give you my grades on the trade, but also my mock draft, my first 10 or so, what I'm thinking. Also, New York sports betting, uh, is it a good thing? Is it here? Is it kind of not here? I'll give you my take. A lot of confusion going on. But we will begin the show talking to Andy Bagwell about the new UNC coach. Welcome back, everybody. We're here now with Andy Bagwell. We've had him on the show before. What a unique perspective Andy's going to give us. Look, he's the co-author of Duke Sucks, the book. He was featured in the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. But here's the unique perspective. He was hallmates in Granville Towers at UNC with a new UNC basketball coach. We're going to get into all that. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go into the new head coach, I want to go back a little bit. Let's talk about Roy Williams. Roy Williams is gone. How much of a shock was this through the waves of Tar Heel Nation? I mean, I think it was a shock when it happened. I don't think anyone thought that Roy Williams was going to be the coach at Carolina for 10 more years and that it was coming. But the day it happened and the nature in when it happened, I think, was really shocking. I will say, Tom, though, that as the days have gone on, most Carolina fans, you know, in hindsight and kind of looking at some of the tea leaves over the last year to year and a half, it it makes a little more sense now as to why it came here. But I'll tell you, the day it happened, very shocking for a lot of Carolina fans. And, and, and honestly, a very, very sad day. You know, I know I'm not as tapped into UNC as I used to be when I lived down there, um, but but I'm pretty tapped into sports market. I didn't hear any rumblings. I mean, like you said, look, we all knew, you know, he probably wasn't lasting 10 more years, but usually with a big announcement like this, you kind of hear the rumblings, you kind of hear rumors, uh, you, sort of, you sort of know it's coming. Was there any indication that Roy was going to walk away? There really wasn't. I mean, at the time, I, there were some rumblings starting at the, at the end of the season that there might be some changes to his staff, maybe some assistant coaches moving up to the bench, moving off, maybe a couple of guys moving on, but there wasn't really anything strong about that. I, I think, though, that you know, if you watch Roy Williams over the years, he's so hard on himself, and he blames himself for anything that goes wrong. And, and I think it just wore on him. Um, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that like there was any, anybody thought that this would possibly happen. You heard him say all the things he normally says where he beats himself up after losses, after bad seasons. But you just didn't have an idea that 
that he would take that next step and say, you know what, I'm not the right guy for the job anymore, and I'm done. And we're living in a generation now where great coaches, especially in college basketball ranks, not only have they been around for a long time, but they've been very, very successful. You go through a list, obviously, the Coach K's, the the Tom Izzo's, everybody throws in there, even though, look, he's got a lot of failures as well. Bill Self just got a huge new contract. You, you go through the list of the great coaches. Where does Roy Williams land when we're talking about his contemporaries? We're talking about people he coached against. I mean, you, there's no way you can – You, I, I mean, I know I'm biased, Tom, but I think you can't put him outside of the top five. I mean, you look at his accomplishments, especially after he came back to Carolina. He's got three national championships. How many other coaches have more than that? I think it's John Wooden, Coach K, and Bobby Knight. I don't think there's any more, more than that. Maybe Bobby Knight has also three. So if you look at the at his accomplishments since he came back to Carolina, there there is nobody that has the resume that he has. So – I, I would put him right up there in the top three, but certainly you can make an argument for guys like Coach K, like Izzo, so a lot of these other folks around. But but he's absolutely a top five coach among his contemporaries, and I would argue a top five coach of all time in college basketball. See, now that's a tough one only because it's almost like uh, the, the New York Yankees. You know, you could be one of the greats of all time, but you're not cracking the Yankees, you know, Mount Rushmore. You can't say Roy Williams is the greatest coach of UNC ever, and that's kind of, unfortunately, uh, the crux here is that people will always compare him to the great UNC coach of the past. That's right, yeah. And I'll tell you, there are people, and you can make the argument that he was actually a more accomplished coach than Coach Smith. Now, now Roy would blush at that statement, and he would, he would talk about all the other things that he hasn't done. And I don't think you can say that Roy Williams had the impact on college basketball that Dean Smith did. But by a lot of measures, Tom, Roy Williams accomplished more as a coach at Carolina than Dean Smith did. But that's a great debate for, for the ages, as, as, as Carolina fans will have um, for years to come. We're on the phone Andy Bagwell talking a little college basketball and a little UNC. Let's talk about the other side to this because I'm tapped into a lot of uh, Tar Heel Nation, right? And one of the immediate responses from Tar Heel Nation that I brushed aside and then I started to see it leak out outside of the baby blue, right? I started to start to leak outside different sectors and saying, does he return in another capacity? Look, it's hard for these accomplished coaches to stay away. We see legends take a year or two off and then say, you know what, I want to dive back in. Is there any indication that you have, knowing the guy's personality, knowing him as you do, that he would ever return? I don't see him returning in any any sort of official capacity, whether it's as an assistant coach or an advisor or whatever that might be. Now, with that being said, especially now that Hubert Davis is the coach, I can absolutely see him be present in the building, so to speak. So he's going to be there as a mentor, just like Coach Smith was to him. So Coach Smith had an office in the Dean Dome for several years, even after Roy Williams came back. So he would go to practices and look. So I can see Roy Williams having a very much behind the scenes, a mentoring role to Hubert Davis and some of the other coaching staff. But I, I don't see him taking a step forward and really being uh, you know, a prominent face forward member of, of UNC's basketball uh, program. Now, with that being said, if, you know, somebody within the NCAA wants to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, we'd love for you to run one of these tournaments or be the face of this cause that we're trying to get to within the NCAA, I, would, I wouldn't be too surprised to see him be a little more face forward about something like that. But but not with the UNC program. He's going to take a step back and allow the other folks to shine. Uh, before we get into the next coach, because I want to I want to take a break before we go into the next coach, because I know you have real good stuff to talk about about Hubert. 
<laughs> I want to ask you about the problems that any coach would have had. So I don't want this to be about Hubert Davis. I want it to be this to be about any coach's problems. Look, Roy Williams, we know he didn't do this, but Roy Williams didn't have to leave his couch to get the best prospects in the country, right? Roy Williams didn't have to mm-hmm. uh, even put his shoes on in the morning to make a recruitment speech. He didn't have to do that. And the greatest recruits in the country came flocking to UNC. There has to be. I mean, it just has to be some kind of downturn. How concerned are the alumni about, okay, wait a minute. We might have a good program. We might have a good coach. Whoever's going to replace Roy, that might be good. But the recruiting is going to be definitely dented and damaged. Yeah, it's going to be tough. You don't have a Hall of Fame a resume to dangle in front of them. You don't have three national championship rings sitting on that man's hand when he walks into the to, to a living room. So absolutely, it's going to take a step back. Now, the, 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 the blue-eyed, the, the, the alumni with the blue glasses on will say, well, Hubert Davis played in the NBA for 12 years. That's, that's the carrot that all these guys want to get to. Maybe he can dangle that in front of them. But, I, I mean, I think you're, the college landscape is changing, Tom. I mean, I think all these coaches are dealing with things that, that are very different than they were five or even ten years ago. And the players are starting to understand that because of the coverage of, of media these days, because of social media, and because of how many college basketball games are on, on you know, television, you don't necessarily have to go to one of the Blue Blood schools to get the type of attention you want. Look at what Cade Cunningham did. I mean, he's a guy that Carolina recruited, that all the big-time recruits went. He went to Oklahoma State. Not a traditional powerhouse at all. So this is not just going to be a problem with whoever the coach is going to be at North Carolina. This is a problem that all college coaches are facing, no matter their resume, to get those top-tier guys. Yeah, I completely agree, and I've said that for a while in all sports, and even college football and whatnot. Uh, you, you look at just the landscape of social media. You don't have to ha- be – you don't have to go to Ohio State or Michigan in football to be on national TV on a Saturday afternoon, right? You don't have to go to UNC or Duke to get the national exposure. Look at look at Osmos, right? Look at what he just did for Oral Roberts. You have a good tournament. Everybody knows your name. I think one of the other things that North Carolina is going to struggle with, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the Michael Jordan effect. Look, that carried over a lot of recruits. They wanted to be in that Michael Jordan shadow uh, worthy and, and all of that. Yes, you still have good North Carolina players, but they don't have the Jordan effect. No, no, you're right. I mean, you look across the NBA right now, and, and all the kids that, that, that Carolina is going to be recruiting in the next couple of years, they weren't alive when Michael Jordan was, a, was, was in the NBA. Heck, most of them don't know that Vince Carter was a player in the NBA. And you look across the scope of the, of the players in the NBA right now, that's what those big recruits are looking at. And, and who do you draw your name to if you're a Carolina guy? I mean, Obi White's done some good things here. Uh, you know, Danny Green has won some championships, but you don't have that prominent name out there to, to dangle. So I agree, Tom. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough sale. Now, with that being said, you might make the argument if you look at the t- tournament, if your, if your goal is to win championships, you might not need to recruit top 20 guys every time. Maybe you make your living getting the best of that next tier of guys and letting them be in school together and grow for a couple of years if that's what you want to do. It doesn't get that name recognition for those big superstars, but it could be a way to have a winning program. So it's going to be really interesting to see not just what the Carolina coaching staff does, but what a lot of these other uh, staffs around the country start to do. We're talking college basketball and UNC with a guy that, yes, Andy Bagwell was a hallmate of the new UNC head coach, Hubert Davis. So let's get into the new coach here, Andy. Uh, Hubert Davis, 
You know him. You know him well. You know him personally. Uh, UNC Nation knows him. He's been a an NBA player. He's been an assistant head coach. Talk to me about Hubert Davis. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's been really crazy for me the last couple of days just to think about you know flashing back to to the fall of 1988, and I come into my dorm. I'm fresh at college. Hubert and I are the same age. Three doors down from me in the hall at Granville Towers is this kid named Hubert, kind of a tall, lanky kid who all we knew about him was he was Walter's nephew. Wasn't recruited that heavily. The nicest guy you'd ever seen. But, but you know, it was just, it's just funny thinking back to that kid that I remember meeting when I was 18. And here, you know, here's what he's doing now. But, um, you know, I've, I've got so many, so many fun memories of, of, of being around Hubert on the hall for, for the two, my first two years at Carolina. Um, and, and he's just a great guy. I could not be happier for him. So before we go into uh, the specifics that, that my listeners want to hear about, uh, about what oh, sure, UNC yeah. is going to look like, <laughs> I, listen, I want to hear a little bit about Hubert Davis, the guy, you know. Um, do yeah, you have yeah. a funny story about him? Do you have something, some I kind do. of insight that we have? Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you. It's actually pretty telling about what's going on. I mean, Tom, I, I mean, the statute of limitations is running out now, so I will tell you that as an 18-year-old college student, I like to party a lot. I'm sure that a lot of your listeners would as too. So, man, we got to school, to, me and some, some friends that we had met elsewhere in the hall, that first week at school, Tom, we were just looking for a good time. Classes hadn't started yet. We were able to flanagle our way to, to acquire some adult beverages, so to speak, and we were having a great time on the hall. Let me just tell you, it was, it was getting a little crazy. So down the about you know later later in that night, down the hall comes walking Hubert, and we see him coming down the hallway. We're like, Hugh, come on in, you know, have have some beers with us and everything. And and he he did something at that time that we saw several other times throughout the two years. He looked at us, you know, put that big smile on his face and just shook his head back and forth and just walked on down the hall to his room. So I I will tell you, man, he. We, we, I can't count the number of times that we were having a grand old time down the hallway. Hubert would just laugh at his head off at us, shake his head, and go on down the hallway. We couldn't get that guy to party with us for, for anything. But it, it's funny. I mean, years later, I, I, I ran into him in, in the airport uh, here in Raleigh when he was flying up to ESPN. This was right before he came back to Carolina and saw him and, and, and hadn't talked to him in several years and, and went up and said, hey, you know, we were on the hall. He goes, oh, God, I remember you guys. You threw all those parties, and you had this party. I remember this party you guys threw. It was hilarious. So, but I'll tell you, the thing is, it, it actually speaks to what kind, of, what kind of guy he is. I mean, everybody talks about what a nice guy he is, and it's true. He is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. But, but he, was, uh, he was mature at 18 years old. He was focused, and, and he's, I think this is what's going to help him most now. This is kind of, I don't know, I keep coming back to this phrase, Tom, he's comfortable in his own skin, if that makes any sense. He was comfortable in his own skin at the age of 18 to see these guys partying down the hall and going, that's not for me. And, and he's now in an enormous pressure cooker as the head coach at North Carolina, but he's comfortable in his own skin. See, he's not going to get affected by all of that spotlight. Now, whether he's going to be a successful head basketball coach, I think time will tell. But he won't be affected by all of the things that, that are around um, the position that he now has. That is a fantastic story. That's the, uh, that's the kind of story you're only going to hear at Sports Garden Network. I love it. Because, yeah, I took away the same thing as you were telling it. I said, no, he's got restraint. He's able to smile and laugh. He wasn't annoyed. But he, he's, yeah, you know what? You guys do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. I, I like that in a head coach. 
Speaking of the head coach and replacing a legend, um, you know, it's it's tough. Some guys have medium success that isn't talked about. Some guys completely fall flat on their face, and that that is highlighted. Some guys have a lot of success. But when you replace a legend, and that's what Roy Williams is at this point. He's a legend. When you replace a legend, there is that kind of just immensely, you called it a pressure cooker. So let me ask you the expectations of the UNC faithful. The first year expectations, what do you think makes a successful year? And then talk to me about five years from now. Expectations, what makes a successful season, a successful tenure for Hubert Davis? Well, I think certainly, Tom, he, he's got a little honeymoon period because he is Carolina family. And he's got, he's got the history with the program, and he knows what it means. He checks all of the intangible boxes that Carolina fans really want to see. So next year, I think, I think success is going to be – I mean, they're going to be expected to make the tournament every year. Um, but I would love to see them, you know, I think that, that most fans would be really pleased if, depending on, you know, what kind of roster he can put together to see them in the tournament. Um, and, and everybody's going to have lower expectations and not, and not have too much pressure on him to, have, you know, go out and get to the final four in this first year. Beyond that, I think, I think then it's going to, then that recruiting piece is going to come in because it's going to, we're going to see what types of players he's going to be able to get over the next couple of years. And within that four or five year period, I think that Carolina fans love Hubert. They love the idea of having this family atmosphere. But if Hubert's not successful and if the team's not regularly going to the tournament, competing for ACC championships, competing for, uh, you know, for, for final fours, then, then you know, the pressure is going to start to build. And no matter how much people say, we love the guy, let's give him room, it's, it's, a, it's, a, huge, it's a huge spot to be in. And the expectations don't change. Carolina expects to be in the tournament. They expect to contend for the Final Four every couple of years. They expect to be in the comp- contention for an ACC championship. So that doesn't change just because the legend moved on. Hubert's got to accept that and deal with it and find a way to, to hit those expectations. On the phone with Andy Bagwell, co-author of Duke Sucks. Uh, Andy, let's talk about the X's and O's because this is this is what you know betting public wants to hear, right? Uh, what I knew just blindly, and what every better knew is that uh, North Carolina is going to score some points, right? I mean that that was it. it looking at the overs, you got a shot with North Carolina. They're going to run, they're going to score. It's going to be high scoring. It's going to be fun. It's going to be that kind of atmosphere. From an X's and O's standpoint. What do you think that the differences between Williams and Hubert Davis are? And can we still expect the run and gun, try to score 85 tonight kind of mentality? Well, yeah, to, to your listeners, still bet the over, right? They're, they're, that's not changing. They're going to they're gonna play at a fast pace because he's going to try to get the best athlete. I, I think clearly the thing that, that Roy Williams really struggled with the last couple of years, and, and it's that, the changing landscape of college basketball, is, is, the, is big guys coming out to the perimeter, right? And so you've got to have more spacing. You, I mean, look at the NBA. Look at guys like like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis. They're all shooting threes. And and kind of the rumblings around town here the last year was that you had all these big guys on the roster, but it was too clogged up, and it wasn't a quote-unquote modern game. So I think if Hubert is going to be successful getting the types of recruits that he wants, he is going to have to have a slight tweak to the way that Roy Williams and Dean Smith ran their systems where you have a little bit more floor spacing, you've got more guys that are kind of spread out around the perimeter, to, 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 and, and you might see some of those big guys shooting jumpers. That's not antithetical to what is in the system already. I look, think about Brad Darty coming down the lane and shooting a little um, you know, a jumper from the, uh, from the free throw line on the break. 
So it's not that, that it's out, completely out of the ordinary, but Hubert has got to find a way to start to bring some of those elements into uh, the, the Carolina traditional system. And I think he's got the experience to do it. It's just a matter of how much of what he's going to be doing is going to have to be a little bit of trial and error to see how it works because he hasn't been a head coach before versus being able to hit the ground running and knowing that these things are going to work. So I, 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 think, I think fundamentally to answer your question, it's not going to change all that much. It's going to still look like Carolina basketball. I think the hope is that you'll start to bring some of those other elements without getting all the way to you know, a, a team that just shoots threes all the time. Last question I'm going to ask you here, Andy Bagwell, uh, to cross uh, cross the, the, the war lines. How long does Coach K have? Because that, that's the obvious question. When does he go? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 it, and it's funny. It, it's, this is just my nature. As soon as I heard Roy Williams' announcement, I was sad, of course, but then I thought, Dang it! I really wanted Kay to retire before Roy. <laughs> so I, you know, he's 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 an old man too, and so I I I don't think he's gonna. I can't imagine he'd be around for another three or four years. Um, and so it it's it's gonna be a, a a really big moment in college basketball when you don't have Roy Williams around anymore, and you don't have Coach K around anymore, and you don't have Jim Beheim around anymore. That's another guy that's a staple of the game that's going to be gone. So, I mean, yeah, you look forward five years from now, who knows what the ACC and college basketball as a whole looks like from a coaching standpoint. Because, Tom, if you think about it, players are coming and going so fast now in college basketball. The face of the program, the, the, the way that everyone thinks about these programs are the coaches. So as they change, it's going to be really interesting to see how each of those schools adjust to that and what their, what their, uh, what, how they put their face forward for the rest of college basketball and, and, uh, you know, and, and for the sports world in general. All right, guys, that is Andy Bagwell. Thank you very much, Andy, co-author of Duke Sucks, featured in the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. You guys can go check him out over on Twitter. It's at NC Bags, B-A-G-S. Go check out Andy Bagwell. Andy, another great job. I have to tell you, you know, I have a hard time conceptualizing a world and an ACC and a college basketball world and a sports world where there's no Roy Williams and Coach K. And, you know, we started the thing, and I know Andy got mad the last time I asked him about the the hashtag new bloods against the blue bloods, and this is what Florida State and Virginia, they're the new bloods against the blue bloods, the Dukes and the North Carolinas, but you look at a coach like Coach Bennett, who's just dominated for the last couple of years, and you look at the ACC, and you look at just college basketball in a whole. I mean, Mark Few is that guy that's still on the ascension, even though after what happened, and you see college basketball changing. He mentioned Bayheim. I could throw Izzo in that. Uh, Kansas re-signed Bill Self, so he's not going anywhere. It is a new world. Mick Cronin, uh, maybe he's the, the new world guy. Moser, maybe he's the new world guy. It's going to be an interesting world in college basketball, certainly for North Carolina. Hubert Davis, uh, look, we wish him for the best of the luck, but, uh, oh, replacing a legend is tough. All right, lots more to do when we get back right after this. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gamble before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, yeah, let's talk about UNC and their odds. But first, let's look at all of the 2022 NCAA tournament odds. Gonzaga at the top. And listen, you can say what you want. You can crush them. You can tell them that they played it in a weak conference and everything else. They made two of the last four. NCAA title games, okay? They are plus 550. Baylor, 
coming off of that championship, plus 850. Michigan is 12 to 1. Duke, they weren't even in the field. Duke is 15 to 1. UCLA getting a lot of steam. People loving Mick Cronin, 16 to 1. Kansas, 18 to 1. FSU, 18 to 1. A lot of people believe in that Leonard Hamilton's team next year is going to be huge. Kentucky, another team wasn't even in the field, but they know. They don't uh, rebuild down there. They just restock 18 to 1. Ohio State comes in at 20 to 1. Illinois, they're going to lose some. They're at 20 to 1. Villanova, they're going to lose some as well. But again, Jay Wright, 20 to 1 odds uh, has me tempted. Houston, 20 to 1. Alabama, 25 to 1. Arkansas, 28 to 1. UNC, with the addition of Hubert Davis, 28 to 1. Texas, Michigan State, and Virginia all in at 30 to 1. By the way, Virginia 30 to 1. Oof. And the question that everybody's asking, what about Oral Roberts, who's coming back? Osmus, maybe O'Banner, uh, was not listed at all. So that is what are the odds? Yeah, college basketball is going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Listen, that UVA 30 to 1. Oh, that just it's jumping off the page. Nova 20 to 1. Jumping off the page a little bit. A little bit jumping off the page. I'll tell you, look, you should not be betting on this stuff nice and early right now. There's too many things with transfer portals. There's, there's things, uh, you know, who's going pro, who's not, coaching changes. Don't jump on this too early. But I will tell you, this is definitely something that already is piquing my interest. What has been piquing my interest for a while here, guys, is the NHL. I've been doing really well on the NHL the last two years. If you listen to the show, I'm crushing the NHL. After taking a couple of years off, I'm absolutely crushing it. I think this is one of those years where, man, you know what? I love the new schedule. I love the fact that we know these teams. So I want to talk about the NHL with the Director of Communication and Lead Handicapper at Winners and Winers, Scott Steen. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I have always kind of been up and down with the NHL. I've had my runs, you know, in the late 90s I had some runs, early 2000s and and then for about a 7-year period I just couldn't really get over 55%. I was sitting there at 51, 52, 49, 50 and, and I took took years off. I just said, "You know what? I'm just not betting the NHL anymore." I really jumped back in in 2019. I had a very good year. Last year I crushed it and this year I I am as hot as ever. I feel like this new schedule where you absolutely know teams, where there is an absolute, okay, we know this team, we know the style, we know the situation. I think it's easier to handicap NHL than ever. Am I alone here? No, absolutely not, because you've only you've only got seven other teams that is possible for them to match up against. So those trends where normally in a, in a regular season where you'd see those teams you know, a couple of times and you couldn't, you couldn't really put any trends together. I think the trends are much more actionable, the, the smaller the bubble, so to speak. So if you're only playing seven other teams, you're matching up against those guys all season long. And some of those trends, especially this time of the year, they've had a chance to establish themselves. And I think they're very playable and they've, uh, they've done they've done well for me. There's a few trends that I really like. Yeah, you know, especially the team trends. There are situations. Oilers have beaten Ottawa, uh, you know, seven times in a row. They they've outscored them thirty five to fourteen. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to pay minus one seventy. I'm not shying away from big favorites. Now, again, last week Tampa Bay went down. Uh, Detroit was like a plus one, you know, three ninety underdog or something. I'm not going there. But I'm not shying away from minus 160, minus 170 favorites this year. How about you? No, I'm, and I'm the same way. And I, I love playing totals. You know, we, had, we found this a few years back. And, you know, we started playing the overs. And the, the league kind of adjusted their numbers 
and that hasn't been as profitable lately. But there are some great mini trends available that if you keep an eye out, you can absolutely play them. The, one of my favorites right now, and it cashed last night again, was Columbus Blue Jackets on a 13-2 and first period underrun. And they have been absolutely nails. Like I said, it was a, they, they, hit it, they hit it last night, scored one goal in the first period. So that, that's, been, that's been one of my favorites. Uh, Capitals have been a huge team in the third period. They've, uh, they've gone 24-6, and six, third period overs. Uh, they didn't hit it last night. We, we missed last night in that, in that nil-nil going into the third period against the Islanders. Islanders put up one goal late, so we didn't get home there. But, you know, other than that, those are, those are, two, those are two fantastic trends. Tom, um, do you play any kind of futures at all as, as far as awards go? You know, I try to stay away from the awards uh, outside of baseball. And maybe I'll, I'll dabble some in the NFL. But in hockey, I, I don't go near the awards. I know last year uh, there was just some ridiculous uh, tickets that cashed there. I did have Tampa Bay before the year, but no, not the awards. Who are you looking at? I'm looking I'm looking at the Vesna Trophy. I'm looking at the goalies. And it's it seems to be kind of a fait accompli that they're already given the trophy to uh, Vasilevsky with the Lightning. He's a, he's minus 125 at this point. I'm shocked he's and only minus 125. Record. Yep, and here's but here's his record, Tom. He's 23-6 and 1. He's got a 2.0 goals against, 9-3-1 save percentage. All very good numbers. I'm looking west, my friend. I'm looking at Philip Grubauer. He's he's plus 1000 right now, so it's obviously a long shot and he's probably not going to hit, but he's won one more game. He's he's 24-7 and 1. His goals against is better at 1.83 and his save percentage Point nine two six. He's got five shutouts as opposed to Veselovsky's three. So if you put those, if you put those two sets of numbers in a vacuum, I say there's not uh, not a whit of difference between the two of them. I think we're getting a good price on Grubauer. Is he going to win it? No, probably not because it's a it's an award. And anything else awards, it's going to be it's going to be voting for the familiar, voting for the guy that won it last year. Obviously, is going to have a huge advantage. But uh, I think that's too steep of a price to pay for Vasilevsky. If you're looking for a long shot there, I do like Grubauer. Yeah, Grubauer, Grubauer is coming in at the fourth best odds. So he's got a shot there. You know, I think Mark andre Fleury at plus 250 is overrated. Look, this isn't a knock on Fleury. I just don't think you could give it to him in the situation that everybody knows who the Knights are. Um, and I, you know, I almost like Grubauer, like you said, better than even Fleury, who is at plus 250. Right, right. I, yeah, if, if you're telling me I'm getting four times the prize on Grubauer over Flurry, I'll I'll take that. I'll take that every time because Flurry, so far at least, hasn't even been the best goalie in that division. Look, he's not winning the award here, Scott. But Jack Campbell is eight zero and zero in the last eight appearances this year, the longest winning streak in Leafs history. Uh, now that that's not a short history, okay? Uh, Jack Campbell, somebody that I've been able to take advantage of. Uh, this Leafs team was a dangerous team before the year. What is your thoughts on on picking just a goalie spot like a Jack Campbell spot? Oh, you stole my thunder, man. Yeah, he's he's nine and zero. And his starts this year, 944 save percentage, 1.44 goals against. Obviously, if he had enough starts, those would lead the league by a lot in both those categories. I love I love playing Campbell, and it seems like it seems like the public hasn't caught on yet. You're still able to get a, a good price on a fantastic team with a goalie that so far this year, let's face it, he's been unbeatable. I want to get back into your under trends and whatnot because I have three numbers that are pretty big. The Bruins this year, 64% of the under. The Red Wings this year, 64% of the under. Columbus is 61% to the under. 
Are those trends that you almost don't care who they're playing? You just say, you know what? If the Bruins, Red Wings, and Columbus are going under, the number's usually five and a half. I mean, it's been five and a half almost across the board all year on everybody. Those three are over 60%. Do you almost blindly just follow those three, or you still have to pick your spots? No, I think I think, I think once, you get, once you get over 60%, I think those, those are almost automatics to me, especially like we talked about earlier, where you're only you're only working with seven teams that you're playing there in that division, uh, you've you've got a body of work. You've seen those teams before. I think those are as close to an automatic play as uh, as you're going to get. And those are those are three that I was going to bring up, man. You're you're, you're crushing it. You're, you you've got me on. You're stealing my thunder, buddy. But yeah, those are absolutely under teams every single time. We are on the phone with Scott Steen, Director of Communication, Lead Handicapper at Winners and Winers. All right, well, you know what? Look, I'm just going to throw out one team here because we're talking unders, 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 and goalies. Uh, what about the overs? The one team that I grabbed, and I'm, I, I'm hoping I'm not stealing your thunder, but the, when I steal your thunder, Scott, that just means that we're two handicappers that are on the right page. The Flyers Great are hitting, minds, my friend. The Flyers are hitting almost 70% to the over. Now, this is something I jumped on too late. I'll be honest with you. I didn't notice this until the last couple of weeks. But I'm going Flyers 68% to the over with a goalie that's in the top 10 for the trophy, right, for the best goalie. Talk to me about the Flyers. Well, they've got obviously a fantastic offense and great goalie, but their defense is just not getting it done. I love the Flyers there. Another team that's kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde team out west is the Avalanche. Early in the season, they were a dead under team, especially in the first period. But that is totally switched around, and the Avalanche have gone 10-1 and one first period overs in their last 11 games. I've been riding that hard because I do kind of keep an eye on the Avalanche. They're my son's, uh, one of my son's favorite teams, and I kind of watch them. So that trend got my attention, and we've been able to ride that successfully. So, yeah, the Avalanche, again, uh, a team with, with, a great, with a great goalie, but they've been able to take that to, uh, number over, at least in the first period, over the last 11 games, 10 caches. All right, Scott, we're going to take a quick timeout. We're on the phone with Scott Steen, Director of Communication and Lead Handicapper at Winners and Winers, their sports betting news organization, all U.S. sports they cover. Uh, this is something that we're talking trends. I want to transfer over to a brand-new thing, player prop plays in hockey they're just not priced right. And I want to get Scott's opinion on that, as well as who's the best team right now. Every week, it seems, all of the talking heads that seem to know nothing about hockey on television always tell me there's a brand-new best team when the last week it was a new, different best team. Scott, we're talking about trends. We're talking about, uh, you know, totals and unders and overs. One of the things that I have jumped on and I have made just a ton of money on is player prop plays. I feel like every single night, if I just take Mitch Marner uh, to get a point, I'm going to be okay. Every single night, you're going to pay 3-1, to one, but you know what? Marner's just crushing it. If you want to take him on assist, you're getting better. McDavid has crushed it, but we know McDavid's a big name. Who are some prop players, guys that you kind of cashing in on, and is the prop play market for hockey just something that is just completely not spoken about? Yeah, absolutely. This is This is the trends in hockey – the public doesn't seem to catch on as quickly as they do in other sports, Tom. And I think it's just because there just aren't the numbers of betters that they have. It's, it's largely, largely ignored by a lot of, by a lot of the United States. You know, of course, if you're, if you're in the North and Northeast, you grew up playing hockey and, and there's some hockey betters there, but for the most part, it doesn't have the traction that other sports have. So anytime that happens, there's always going to be value. I, I love, I love Marner in, in that, in that spot. You're always getting a good price on him. 
another guy that you get a great price on day in and day out is Patrick Kane with the, with the Blackhawks. I'm always looking for teams that aren't necessarily, you know, all that good that don't capture the public's attention. You know, like you said, you can you can always take you can always take Connor you can always take Connor McDavid, uh, him and uh, Dersidi. Those two guys that is a one two punch there for for the Oilers. So either one of those guys you're likely to pay the price. But you know if you if you look a little further down, I, I you know Kane's one of my favorites. Marner's Marner's one of my favorites as well. Uh, I don't hate Brad Marchand. You're often often getting a good price with him with with the Boston Bruins. So yeah, there's some definite value to be found in the player props. That's there is that's that's where the money is right now, my friend. You've absolutely nailed it. I've been doing it for the NFL for years. I love player props. People go, oh man, you're rooting so hard. What do you got? I, I just need I just need yards from Taylor. I just you know I just need a couple of uh, scores from this. So I, I love doing that. Uh, my thing in the NFL was always tight end touchdowns. Nobody cared about tight end touchdowns. Now all of a sudden everybody loves tight ends and there's no value there. So. I'm moving on to uh, Mitch Marner's my guy. I might get a Mitch Marner jersey. I'm not even a Toronto fan. He just made me so much money this year. <laughs> you know, it's funny how those things work, right? Um, let's Put talk a about back in his pocket. Sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> let's talk about overall because, like I said, people that are not paying attention to hockey uh, exclusively or, or in depth. It's always seemingly the new team that is the best team. And it is jumbled up this year. I'm going to be honest. I love the fact that we don't have that dominant team. You have three or four teams in the conversation. You could even have maybe five or six teams in that conversation. You mentioned the Avalanche. I mentioned the Knights. Well, they're definitely in the conversation. We mentioned Tampa Bay. They're in the conversation. So talk to me about who do you think is the cream of the crop out of all of the best teams in the league right now? Man, it's, it's really hard. And like you said, Tom, it does change. It's, it's hard It's hard not to like the Leafs, but when you, when you look at overall odds to win the title, You've got to look at the division that they've got to play because, you know, those top four teams are going to bang heads in the playoffs. And the Leafs, man, they're, that's, going to, that's going to be a tough journey out of the north there. I, I, like, I like the Avalanche. I think the way they've been playing in the west, if they can, if they can finish up like that, there's a, there's a reason that they're the favorite right now. And you're, you're getting plus 350 on them at, at DraftKings. Um, I, and I like, I like their path. I, I understand the logic there. I'm not anxious to take it at plus 350. I would hang around and see if maybe they get a little dip, and perhaps you can pick that up at 450, 500 before the playoffs begin. You know, for me, the best value out there, Tom, and I, and I know I'm not exactly reinventing the wheel here, but the Maple Leafs at plus 900, that is just that is just hard for me to that is just hard for me to pass up at the end of the day. Yeah, they're going to have uh, a hard time coming out of there. They're going to play the Canadians likely in round one. But far and away, I think as far as the team that scores, you know, I just I like that team a lot. They they lead the North in scoring. They play they play good defense. For me, that's a great price on the Leafs right now at plus nine hundred. I like them before the year. Know, I, I I like them too. Look, the scoring is just how do you just look past Matthews, Tavares, and Marner? I mean, it it, it could just beat you to death. And now if they get a if they have a goalie, which they might. Right, if they have a goalie, they'll be dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't sleep on the Islanders at at plus fourteen hundred. You know they've shown the ability, get it done when it counts. You watch this team play, and you're like, I'm not really sure how this team wins, but they do it night in and night out, and then they're able to put it together in the playoffs. I, I don't, I don't hate that. I think as far as as far as like some of the the favorites go, I just I just don't feel it with Tampa Bay this year. I certainly don't think there's a lot of value at plus six hundred. Um, I, uh, I, 
don't and I don't really I don't really like anybody else coming out of the West. I don't I don't like Vegas. Um, if you if you're a Vegas fan, if you like Flurry and you think they're going to get it together, you know, plus eight hundred is is a good price there coming out of the West. I wouldn't touch anybody else in the West. That that division has gone nuts. You know, with with the Wild all of a sudden playing good hockey, the Coyotes there, the Blues are absolutely well. Let's say it, they're trash right now. The Blues have been awful. Lost seven straight, gone two seven to one over their last ten. I don't know that the Blues even make the playoffs. You know, you mentioned the Blues. That was on my list. So you stealing my thunder here, Scott? <laughs> that was on my list of one of the teams that I'm fading down the stretch. Look, when you start to go into a tailspin and you start to watch the players slip away, and then they do slip away, um, and players are banged up and they're having a long season. It's coming off of a pandemic year, and you, you have it all. There are certain teams I think that psyche-wise, I'm going to be fading here, and the Blues are one of my fade teams. Who else should we be fading here in the last couple of weeks? Well, as far as as far as guys, as far as, far as teams that look like they may be fading a little bit coming down the stretch, you know what? I would I would maybe look at the I would maybe look at the Penguins. I think maybe they've I think maybe they've shot their shot, and I think they're going I think they're going to be able to sneak into the playoffs. I want no I want no part of them as far as as far as the future goes. And I think coming down the stretch, they would probably be a, a very fadeable team with the Caps and the Islanders there, and I think the Bruins. Are probably going to overtake them. That's my that's my bold prediction. They're four points back right now, but I think the Bruins overtake them for the third spot uh, in in that division. We'll see what happens. I don't I don't think any other team has anything for them. So I think the Penguins will make the playoffs, but I don't see them making a deep run. Um, looking at the, looking at the looking at the Central, you know, I think I don't, I'm not a I'm not a big Lightning guy. I don't think I don't think this is the uh, I don't think Lightning is going to strike twice. Uh, I you know I hate myself just for saying that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a good time to, to fade the Lightning. I like I like how the Hurricanes are playing right now. I like how the Panthers are playing. And you know, let's face it: is there any team hotter than the Preds right now? They've uh, won two in a row. They've gone eight and two over their last ten. That's a that's a good value play. If you want to know a team that's back right now, I like the Predators quite a bit. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you, Scott Steen, Director of Communications, Lead Handicapper, Winners and Winers, do you do anything with the puck line? Because I try to stay away. But when I was doing my notes here. Winnipeg's hitting 71% on the puck line. The Bruins are hitting 28% on the puck line. Uh, the Ducks are 28% on the puck line. Uh, you know, you look at some of these puck lines. I try to stay away. I hate giving the one and a half. I hate taking the one and a half. I don't usually find the value, but man, I started doing my research and I'm going, maybe I'm missing something on this puck line. You know, I'm going to be honest. It it requires an extra level of math that I just Quite frankly, at this time of the year, I don't have the time to devote to it to find out if the puck lines are good value plays or not because you've got to you've got to factor in what the odds are normally going to be. So yeah, I know there is, I know there's some guys that play the puck lines with a great deal of success. I am not one of those guys. At, at some point, Tom, the bucket just gets too full and you can't and you can't do everything. And the puck lines are one of those things that I just I just don't mess with very often at all. I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I'm the same kind of way. Listen, I was somebody that took off of hockey and uh, jumped back in. Now I'm going, oh, man, this is a moneymaker. What was I missing? Scott, it's been great. You. Thank you for all of your time. Guys, it's Scott Steen, Director of Communication, Lead Handicapper at Winners and Winers. They're a sports betting news organization. Go check them out. They cover all U.S. sports uh, since 2015. Thank you very much. So, guys, Scott Steen, we went over a lot about hockey, and I know that the numbers can get confusing sometimes, uh, but, look, the reality is is that you can make some money, and that's what we were trying to show you. You can absolutely make some money in this. Let's talk about the puck line real quick because these are numbers I discovered. I don't play the puck line. I said, you know what? 
Let me find out if there's something that I'm missing. Okay, so the Knights, the Golden Knights, 68% winning percentage, but only 43% on the puck line, which means if you're taking the Knights, you don't lay the one and a half. The Ducks, only about a 28% winning percentage, 62% on the puck line. Guys, they're losing a lot of games by one goal. I mean, that's what we're looking at. The Kings, 38% winning percentage, 62% on the puck line. Again, they're losing a lot of games, but they're losing a lot of games by that one goal. Winnipeg, 71% on the puck line. You like Winnipeg? Lay the one and a half. I mean, look, we're talking about 7 out of 10 wins. Lay the one and a half. You're going to get value back. The Rangers, the New York Rangers, who... When all said and done, they are as mediocre as mediocre can be with, you know, about 40, 41 points, something like that. 65% on the puck line. When they are winning, they're laying the one and a half. When they're losing, they're losing by one. I mean, this is what it is. And then finally, we talked about the Blues. Uh, They're under 30% on the puck line. The Blues are in a bad way. And I wanted to highlight the Blues because there are certain teams here where I truly do believe, like I mentioned to Scott, I truly do believe that the weight of the season starts to come on them. I don't care if you're an NHL player, NBA player, or, or you know, you're a bartender, okay, or you're a radio host. After the pandemic year, we're all still a little bit dragged, okay? It's still new. It's still different. We went through it. Now you go through that and you start to lose and you're away from your family. And you start to feel things get it spiraling out of control. And you start to say, woe is me. This happens to teams. Now, a team like, uh, for example, the Detroit Red Wings, look, they're going to have their good game here and there because they're used to losing. This isn't unusual for them. But the Blues, the Blues were, were a championship team just a couple of years ago, right? The Blues have a history of winning. The Blues are supposed to win. The Blues had a lot of winning this year, and it started to kind of come crumbling down upon them. I don't think they're going to turn it around. I think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be emotionally telling on them. And look, the Blues are just a team I've been going against for a week. I'm going to continue to keep going. on. All right, hey, that's the NHL. We're talking about the future. He's like Toronto. I like Toronto. That's all in the future. But now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Bet to the future. All right, bet to the future. Let's talk a little NFL draft. And the numbers have come out, and the numbers have moved, so I want to talk about this. How many wide receivers will be drafted in the first round of this year's NFL draft? Now, there are different sites, different numbers. Over four and a half, under four and a half. But over four and a half, you lay in minus 250, under plus 170. Guys, I've shopped around, and you can get a five number out there if you like the over. You don't have to lay the 250. There is a five number out there if you like the over. If you like the under, you can get that five number. You're not going to get 170 back. You're going to get about 120 back. So that is bet to the future. Eh, just my my opinion. Look, I think there could be six wide receivers taken in the first round. We know for a fact that the two guys from Alabama, okay, Smith and Waddle are going. We know Chase is going. That's three. Okay, you have to think that Bateman's going. In most cases, Bateman's going. And then you have the both of the Moors. Okay, um, and I personally believe both of the Moors are are going to go. I, I think there could be six, so I don't mind. Look, I know the four and a half, you know, is something that everybody's looking at, and you go, oh, yeah, four and a half, and you get to the five, and it's an easy win. I don't mind laying it. I don't mind laying the five. And if I get a push, I get a push. I don't mind laying the five. I, I don't want to lay the 250, but I even will. I'll, I'll even lay the 250 if I have to. All right, since we're talking about the draft, let's quickly talk about Sam Darnold. 
He goes, I think that the Jets get about a C grade here. I've mentioned this on the show. Um, I don't love the return the Jets got. I'm not upset with it because you went all in on your quarterback. I get it. And I like the mentality. But I don't love the fact that the Jets only got next year's second, only got next year's fourth, and a sixth this year means almost nothing. I mean, let's be honest. What does a six-round pick mean? Six-round pick, you're hoping that the guy makes the team as a backup, right? Fourth-round pick, you're hoping as a, a backup. I don't even think you think a fourth-round pick is going to be a starter. So they got one starter for Sam Darnold. But I do like the fact that they pushed all in here. I just think they could have got more. Carolina? I'm not giving Carolina an A here. I like Sam Darnold. I think he's going to succeed. I think Sam Darnold is is a better football player than we've seen. I do think he's better than Teddy Bridgewater. I know a lot of the conversation was, is he better than Bridgewater? But there's still a debate there. It wouldn't shock me if Teddy Bridgewater pushed him hard in camp. It wouldn't shock me if Teddy Bridgewater played some games this year. But I do believe in the talent, and the talent to Sam Darnold is still certainly there. The guy got crushed at where he was. Adam Gase ruins a lot of people. I just don't know many success stories. You can tell me Ryan Tannehill, sure. But there's not a lot of success stories of quarterbacks who have basically fizzled out and then coming back and being great. And I've used the term, I see a lot of good in Sam Darnold. I don't see a lot of great. And good is fine. I just don't see a lot of, of great in Sam Darnold. Uh, the Panthers to make the playoffs, I was looking at as an interesting situation at plus 245. I like the coach. I like the defense. I like McCaffrey coming back. It doesn't really change drastically, which tells you what I think of Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. I, I was thinking about making the bet that the Panthers could make the playoffs at plus 245 odds. I was thinking about that. And I'm sitting here and I'm still thinking about it. it pushes me more to want to make the bet, but I'm not certainly jumping all in. So I want to see how this draft goes for them. I think that the Panthers are in the right direction. I just hope that they don't get tied up with Sam Darnold, who, like I said, isn't great. He's good. Can we get him to very good? Because very good can win championships. You don't have to be great to win. Very good can win championships. I just have not even seen very good out of him. So real quick, my mock draft, and we'll do this quite a few times over the next uh, month or so, uh, Trevor Lawrence going to number one overall, absolutely. I think Zach Wilson is the guy at number two. I think the Jets knew that they were going to make Zach Wilson the guy. He's number two. I don't believe any of the conversation that talks about Mac Jones going to the San Francisco 49ers. I don't believe you had to move up to number three to go to the San Francisco 49ers at all. I think they take Trey Lance. I think that they think of him as a project. Jimmy Garoppolo, you're our guy. Think about what John Lynch has said. Think about what Shanahan has said. Garoppolo is our guy. He could win right now. He's the guy to win right now. Yet they moved up to number three. That means Trey Lance. Trey Lance could be the future of this organization. We're going to give Garoppolo an opportunity. If he gets injured, Trey Lance gets thrown into the fire. If he doesn't get injured, no problem, Trey Lance. You're going to take a year. Remember, guys like Aaron Rodgers took two years. Patrick Mahomes sat for a year, so don't think it's a slight. Atlanta's at number four. I have to believe that they trade out here. I have to believe that at number four, someone comes into this spot. I heard that Atlanta is listening. I do not believe. I just can't believe in my mind that New England wouldn't try to do everything they can to get into this spot. That the Bears, yeah, even the Bears try to get into this spot. I think New England fits Mac Jones well. I'm saying that Mac Jones goes number four overall, and it's not to Atlanta who trades out. And I'm picking the New England Patriots there. Number five, I know Jamar Chase has consistently been attached to the Bengals. And if Joe Burrow is your guy, maybe you want to go get him his receiver. But 
T. Higgins is your man right there, right? I mean, you don't need another receiver. And that also takes them out of the Kyle Pitts sweepstakes, who they may be into. Look, the Bengals have made their choice. I think you have to go Penny Sewell here. To me, this is a guy that they talked about last year going number one overall. Coming into the season, oh, it might be Penny Sewell number one overall. Bengals get him. You protect Joe Burrow. I like that. The Miami Dolphins would be ecstatic if they could get Kyle Pitts, and they can here. In my mock draft, Kyle Pitts goes there. He's a perfect example of what you want a young quarterback. Tua struggles to move the ball downfield. Kyle Pitts goes there. So now that brings up interesting guys because now you get into the wide receivers that we just talked about. Detroit sitting here at 7. Now, if Mac Jones is still on the board and Atlanta chooses somebody, you could fully expect number 7 to be traded probably to New England and Mac Jones goes there. Most likely. But let's say Detroit stays here, and I think that they might. I think they're the team that goes out there and they grab Jamar Chase. He seems like the the predominantly number one wide receiver. You could argue the, the Alabama guys. I think Detroit goes Jamar Chase there. Carolina's here. Look, Carolina needs wide receivers. I get it. But they're going to go protect Sam Darnold. They need an offensive line. Rashawn Slater here, I think, is a pretty easy pick. Sitting here at number nine, I haven't mentioned Justin Fields yet. And this is another thing. Look, people might move in for Justin Fields. I believe the Mac Jones thing uh, with Justin Fields. Look, at number nine, if Denver gets Justin Fields, they're going to be ecstatic. Okay? I do believe someone moves up into the Atlanta spot for either Fields or Jones. I do believe the other team moves up and grabs Fields or Jones. So I don't know if Fields is going to be available, but I'm saying Denver gets lucky. They get Fields here. And then number 10, J.C. Horn to Dallas seems pretty much like a lock. So a lot to go on here. I believe we are going to have five quarterbacks taken in the first 10 picks. I believe, forget about that. Wait, wait, wait. Let me back that up. Five quarterbacks taken in the first nine picks because no one's getting past Denver. Okay. I think five quarterbacks in the first nine picks. I see one, two, three, and four being quarterbacks in a historic, historic quarterback draft. If you're a Chicago fan, if you're a New England fan, if you like Mac Jones, you're going to have to move up. I think you got to move up. Uh, maybe to four, I think he might be available at seven. He will not be available after seven because Denver's grabbing him at nine. Okay, and eight, we know Carolina's not grabbing him. So you got Jones, you got Fields. They're falling. One, two, three, I think we know. Okay, I think we know one, two, three. Does someone move up to Atlanta at four? Does somebody move up to Detroit at seven? Those are the two spots. Cincinnati, Miami at uh, five, six are pretty locked in, and eight Carolinas locked in, not a quarterback. Which means if you want a Justin Fields or you want a Mac Jones and you're New England and you're Chicago, you're going to have to move up into the top seven in the draft because at number nine, Denver's going to take the leftover quarterback there. All right, real quick before I go, New York State, after years of negotiations, they finally have said, okay, mobile sports betting is going to come, but I can't even explain it to you. I know the biggest legal minds in this business have looked this over, and it is all kinds of confusing. Cuomo wants this. Cuomo wants that. It is a disaster of epic proportions what they're trying to do. They want two skins, but besides two skins, uh, what they want is they want um, to have a bidding war. And it's $25 million to bid, but then the skins that get it can outsource it to other people. I'm just going to read a quick quote here by casino owner Jeff Gurl, okay, uh, who was talking uh, to Jimmy Valkind of the Wall Street Journal. He said, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I consider this a gift to New Jersey and to me at the Meadowlands. And my only regret is that Andrew Cuomo won't be around to see this total fail. 
And that's what I think this is, a total fail. But I don't want to end off on a bad note, okay? Because as I was recording this, one of the coolest things happened, guys. A Kathy Ireland tweet came over. She liked one of my tweets. Anybody that's my age, man, Kathy Ireland liked one of my tweets. I was talking to her about her being a kicker. In the football movie. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You're, we all remember Kathy Allen as the kicker. That's a little sports thing for you. Kathy Allen liking one of my tweets. Eh, this feels good. All right, guys. I had to end it off. I couldn't end it off on Cuomo destroying mobile sports betting in New York. Had to give you something fun there. Enjoy the week, everybody. I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.